And last week we talked about know. We talked about knowing Jesus, about keeping the main thing, right? Our main thing. And I hope that that's something that stuck with you this week. That's know. That's our first purpose as a church. We have three of them. The second one is this, to grow. And when we talk about growing, what we mean is that God wants us to grow together as a spiritual family. And this is, this is so important and so oftentimes lost on those of us who are Christ followers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by giving you the big idea for this weekend. And uh, I'll explain it. Hopefully by the end it'll make sense to you. But our big idea this weekend is this. A love for all starts with a love for some. And we're going to kind of hopefully by the end of the sermon that'll make sense to you. Uh, but to kind of get you thinking a little bit about this, uh, a couple of weeks ago I was looking at a book uh, called The Blue Zones Book. I don't know if you've heard of that or seen it. It's by a guy named Dan Butner, and for uh, over a decade he's been researching what he calls blue zone uh, places of the world. And these are places where people supposedly live longer, healthier, and happier lives. And what he's done is he's narrowed it down. He's, he's identified five places in the world where people live longer, uh, 10 years or more than the average population, uh, are healthier and happier. And those la- locations are uh, Sardinia, Italy, Icaria, Greece, uh, Okinawa, Japan, Loma Linda, California, it's down the coast, and Nicoya, Costa Rica. These are the five places in the world where people live longer than anywhere else. And what they did is in studying for over 10 years, they sent teams to each one of these places. And what they discovered was uh, what they call um, the power nine. These are nine common things that all of these areas um, had in common with each other. Habits and practices. The first one was this. They call it move naturally. So what they found in these areas is that people don't pump iron. They don't run marathons. They just live in environments that require them to keep moving all the time. So these are people, they tend to walk to work. They walk to the store. They walk to church. They keep moving. They have lifestyles where they don't sit a lot. They move around a lot. Um, the second one is purpose. And we talked a little bit about this last week. That it, in fact, what the study found was that a sense of purpose, like a reason to wake up in the morning, adds on average seven years to your life. Uh, the third thing was what they call downshift. This is that everyone in, this, in these areas have routines to deal with stress. Because the reality is that all of us have stress around us. It's just, how do we deal with it? And what they found is they may have dealt with it different in different areas. In some areas they pray. Some areas they have a practice of taking naps in the middle of the day. That's how they deal with stress. In some it's med- meditation. In some cultures it's happy hour not like this happy hour, but like we're, we're, they get together with other people in the afternoon and the evening. And uh, I guess wine is actually usually involved, as we'll see in a minute. Um, but these are practices they have. The fourth one is the 80% rule. Um, people in all these areas say that they stop eating when their stomachs feel 80% full. They eat their smallest meal in the evening, and then they don't eat anything after that. And their largest meal of the day is either breakfast or what we would call lunch. The fifth thing is, uh, some of you won't like this, is what they call plant slant. And that is that in most of these areas, they're vegetarians. Uh, Beans are the cornerstone of most of these diets. Um, If they eat meat, it's mostly pork, and they don't have more than uh, meat five times a month, and it's only three to four ounces each time, which is about the size of a deck of of playing cards. Uh, That's plant slant. Number six is 
You can't make this stuff up. They call it wine at five. So um, these are people in every one of these cultures, they tend to drink a glass of wine in the evening, around five o'clock-ish, they say. Um, the key is this. They don't like hide in the, you know, in the living room and drink it. They usually do it with a meal or they do it with friends that, you know, happy hour, that kind of stuff. But they drink wine. Uh, the seventh thing is this. They call it belonging. Um, Everyone in, in these areas, they are closely connected to a small group of people. In fact, here's the interesting thing they found. They said attending a worship service four times per month will add anywhere between four to 14 years to your life. So we're not wasting your time, right? <laughs> we're actually gaining time. Number eight was uh, loved ones first. So in these cultures, they tend to keep their aging parents and grandparents nearby, if not in the house with them. Uh, people commit to a lifelong partner and they invest time and love in their children. And number nine is this, they, they belong to the right tribe. They are either born into or they choose a social circle that supports healthy behaviors, right? Parents, we understand this because the people around us heavily influence us. And so these are people who choose a group of people around them who will help them live right. So now I heard an interview with this guy on the radio a couple weeks ago with Dan Buettner and uh, they asked him if you could do just one thing of all of these, what would be the, the very best, most effective thing that you could do to live a longer, healthier, and happier life? And he said this. He said, it's clearly number seven, more than anything else, to have a strong connectedness to a community of people. If you could do just one thing, he said, this is what you need to do. Which is funny when I heard it because I was thinking a little bit about the series and I was thinking about the passage we're going to look at tonight and I thought, you know, 2,000 years ago, there were a group of people who took this concept to, to the extreme, as we'll see. But they didn't do it in order to live longer. They did it because they were going to live forever. It was something that God had kind of baked into them when they became Christians. And I want to talk about that tonight in what we would call the relational church. This is important because a lot of people, when they're trying to define the church and what is the church and what is the church all about, I think one of the things you can say is that the church is, if nothing else, relational, right? I mean, think about it. The church is essentially a web of relationships that starts with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Bible says is this, that, that when we place our faith in Christ, we are connected to Jesus. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We become a child of God. And when I become a Christian, then I am connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you become a Christian, you are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of those who place their faith in Christ, he becomes kind of the hub, if you will, but it doesn't stop there. What the Bible says is that that extends and then now we all become one with each other. We become a spiritual family. We are, we are related spiritually, but it plays itself out practically and relationally as well. So the church really is relational if it's nothing else. You know Christ, I know Christ, the person sitting next to you knows Christ, and that because of that, we are family. We have relationships with one another. Now, 
when I was uh, thinking, kind of conceptualizing this series and thinking specifically about this sermon, I had determined uh, a month and a half ago that I didn't know what Bible verse I was going to use, but I was not going to use Acts 2, whatever I did, all right? But I can't, I, what I discovered was I had, as I was working on the sermon, I was trying so hard, so hard not to use Acts 2, but Acts 2 is so good for this. And if you've been around for a while, you know, I never talk about grow groups without talking about Acts 2, and I guess there's a good reason for that. But let me just kind of read this for you. So now, now contextually, here's a little bit of the background. You know, uh, Christ came down, he lived among us, a righteous life, he, he went to the cross, he died in our place, uh, three days later, he rose from the dead, he appeared to many people, as many as 500 at a time, he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, now I want you to wait, I want you to hang around, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down, and when the Holy Spirit comes, something amazing is going to happen. So now that day has come in Acts chapter 2, we call it the day of Pentecost. The, the, the church is together, there's 120 of them, and uh, they're worshiping, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and everyone starts speaking in tongues. They start speaking languages that they don't know. They're speaking foreign languages. Apparently, they're, they're, they're preaching the gospel in languages that they don't know, and foreigners who are from out of town are walking by, and they hear somebody preaching the gospel in their own language, so they stop, and they listen to it, and it says that, uh, that Peter stood up, and he began to preach a sermon. So he just preaches his very first sermon. Didn't prep, no notes, no PowerPoint, nothing. He just preaches a sermon, and at the end of the sermon, this is what it says. This is awesome. So those who received his his word. Now, the word was the gospel. He just basically went through some passages in the Old Testament because that's all they had at that point. No New Testament yet. He's, he's preaching from the Old Testament. He's explaining how Christ is found in that. And it says he's preaching the word. And so those who received his word, that is the word, the word of God, were, were baptized. So these are people who believed and instantly they're baptized immediately, right? They're going to identify themselves with Christ. And they were added that day. That is now not to church membership because they don't have they don't have a discovery 101 class or any of that stuff yet okay they don't have any organization they're just added by god into the family of god and they were added that day about 3000 souls now that's a pretty good altar call right 3 now think at the beginning of the church service there's 120 right? At the end of the church service, there's 3,120. That's a good day in the church. And, and, and now notice, and they, de- they devoted, they, they, they disciplined, they, they, they practiced. You know, a lot of times in the church, people say, well, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd share my faith, I'd be in a girl group, I'd serve, I don't really feel like it. They never had discussions like that. They just devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to a couple things. The apostles' teaching. So that was the 12 big guys, right? There were just 12 of them. They'd get up and they'd preach. And these people were devoted to teaching. They, they, they sought it out and to the fellowship. So the fellowship, there isn't fellowship like hanging out and, you know, having brisket or something. This is the fellowship is referring to the people. So they were all, they were dedicated to one another, uh, and to the breaking of bread, so uh, some think that means communion, which I think it probably did, and some think it means uh, having meals together, which I also think it did. I think it was both of those. And, and to the prayers, so they would get together every day. This is probably the prayers, uh, the three prayers a day that the Jews would pray, so they were getting together as well and praying. And, and awe came upon every soul. So I love this. Awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know, when I read that, I was thinking, um, my wife and I, we like to watch 
home and garden television every now and then. And so there's this show on now where it's kind of off, house hunters off the grid, like where people move to Alaska away from everybody and, and away from everything. And I think sometimes that sounds kind of, sounds kind of cool. It sounds kind of fun. But you know, when I was reading this, I was thinking sometimes as Christians, we do that. We just kind of want to, I want to go do my own thing and I don't want to be tied down to a church. I don't want to go all the time and be with a group of people and meet. I just want to kind of go live in the wilderness, spiritually speaking, and do my own thing. And you know, what I find is that when we do that, when spiritually we do not devote ourselves to other Christians and get out of our comfort zone, we don't tend to experience this. We don't, we don't experience this kind of stuff where many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know why? Because God doesn't show up when we're just all alone doing our own thing. He shows up when we're together. He shows up when we're a family. He shows up when we're serving and loving one another like Jesus did. Sometimes people tell me, I just don't, I, I don't experience God. I'm not really seeing God working. I'm like, well, who are you spending time with? And all who believed were together. They were together and they had all things in common. So we'll talk about that in a minute. It says, and they were selling their possessions and they were selling their belongings and they were distributing the proceeds to anyone who had need. And, and day by day, attending the temple together, because they don't have a church building yet, so they're kind of running over the temple, right? <laughs> we'll just go there and take that place over. At the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, right? They loved eating together. And, and praising God and having favor with all the people. So notice... Notice two locations where the church met regularly, like day by day. They met at the temple, really, uh, it would be in the temple courts outside the temple, large area all around the temple, and they would gather, get there, and uh, from what we understand, an apostle would show up, and people would come, and maybe they'd be in a little corner, it'd be outside, well, it'd be a pretty good-sized corner because the church is over 3,000 people now. And the apostle would teach for a while, we're told for hours, and then uh, they would pray together for a while, and they would sing and worship together. And what they did at the temple was kind of like what we do here. A whole lot of people get together, and the focus is really on worshiping God, praising God, and learning about God. That's the purpose there. That's what we do. But they didn't stop there. They didn't just like, okay, now we, I, you know, I did my thing, did my 90 minutes, and now I'm, I'm, and I can go home, do what I want for the rest of the week. It says they also met in their homes. And in their homes, we know from uh, other kind of sketches in the New Testament that what they did was they would, they would fellowship. They would just kind of hang out together. They would, we know that they would pray together in their homes, that they would take meals together. That was, in, in that culture, you didn't go to some, you didn't have people over to your house and not feed them. You would always feed them. What a great culture, right? And, then, and they would often take communion together. Um, they, would, they would discuss the gospel. They would talk about, you know, things Jesus said and things Jesus did. And, and they would just like be on the edge of their seats and talking. And maybe an apostle would show up and go, yeah, I remember when Jesus did this or walked on the water or whatever. And they would just talk about it and what it meant for them. And they would edify each other. That word edify, it's a, it's a good word. It, it's a word that, that they would use in building. When they would like build a house, they would build an edifice. They would build it up. And, and that's what they would do with each other. They'd walk in and go, I'm gonna build you up today. When, when, when you leave, you're going to be better, you're going to be stronger as a Christian than you were before you came here today. Now, why would they take it into the homes? Why is it such a big deal? 
Well, because, I mean, we've experienced that in our big meeting, right? In here, this is, this is too big of a room and too short of a meeting to really develop deep, meaningful relationships with each other. It's not, it's not even our goal. And sometimes people say, well, you know, the service should be shorter and we should have more time for fellowship. But that's not what we're here for tonight. That's not the purpose of tonight. Tonight is about worshiping God, singing to God, praying to God, learning from God's word. But this is too big, right? And, and, but when we're sitting at a table with maybe 10 other people and maybe we're sharing a meal together, that's what my group does because we find it's a great place. People just open up. We can get very real. We talk about our you know, week. We talk about the good things that happened, the challenges. And, and in my grow group, because we've been together for a couple years now, you know, it used to be as a grow group when we sat down, it took a little while for people to warm up. Now people just sit down, start eating their salad and just, you know, just jump right in. Here's what happened in my week. Here's what happened with my job. But in this church, see, it, they didn't do it once a week. It was, it was daily. And in fact, it describes it as a discipline. And I think that's important. Because for some of us, getting together with people on a regular basis, you know, is, it, it's easy to do, right? Some of you, you just love, you would, you would have people over every night or you would go to someone's house every night and do that because you love it. But for some people, it's a discipline, right? Because maybe we're not totally comfortable doing that. But for them, it was a discipline. They did it because it was important. So that's, that's a sketch for us in Acts chapter 2. Sorry, but I had to go there. But now I want to skip ahead um, to Acts chapter 4 and just look at a couple of verses. In verse 32, so little time has gone by. We're not sure weeks, maybe a month, but probably just weeks. And in verse 32, it says this. Now, and this is an amazing verse. This is the verse that was stuck in my head all summer. Now, the full number of those who believed, the full number, not some of them, but the full number, everyone who believed were of one heart and soul. Now, when I first read this, I thought, this is, this is almost unbelievable. How could this even possibly be true? The full number the full number of those who believe, not like, you know, 20% or 50% or 80%, but the full number. Now, let me just tell you why this is a huge deal. Back in Acts chapter, or Acts chapter 1, verse 15, on the day of Pentecost, at the beginning of the day, before the Holy Spirit came down, before Peter preached, we're told there's 120 people that were there. Now, we know that Christ had preached to a lot more than that, but we're only told there's 120 people in the church at this time in Acts chapter 1, 15. So they're there, and Peter preaches, he has an altar call, and in verse 41, it says 3,000 people responded and got baptized. So now at the end of that day, there's 3,120 just roughly, okay? So there's 3,120. So the church is getting pretty big. Now in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us that the number of male believers, just, just men, because it was common for them to count that way, was 5,000. All right, so here's the deal. We know there are women. We know there were children. And commentators say at this point, the church is probably twenty to 30,000 people. Now, just think about that for a minute. Twenty to 30,000 people. Now, there's only one church at this point in time, and they don't have a building yet. Okay, they haven't had a building program. No mortgage for them yet. They got no organizational structure on a whiteboard anywhere. They have no job descriptions for the apostles and ministry staff and kids church, right? They were, they were just kind of making it up as they went along. 
That's what they, right? So now some people, when they read Acts chapter 2 and 4, there's a word that, uh, that pastors like to use today to describe what's going on here. And the word they like to use is the word organic. That's the word we use, organic. And what we mean is this. The church didn't start with an organizational meeting right? And, and they got like a Kickstarter project going, and then they built a building and, and, and got a website and got a Twitter account. No, it just says that just, it just started. It was just, it was just natural, or really, it was supernatural, right? It was supernatural. Now, it says this, those who believed were of one heart and soul. Now just let that sink in for a minute. 20,000, 30,000 people how could that even be possible, right? Now, when I read it, I think, in my mind, I'm like, well, it sounds like everyone knew everyone and everyone cared for everyone, which, of course, we know is not possible. How could somebody know and care for 20,000 other people? They didn't have a pictorial directory yet, right? They got no website. They don't have a Facebook page or a Twitter account. It's just, I think, spiritually, this is something that God has done in them. And as each one of them placed their faith in Christ and, and they were connected to Christ, he then began to connect them to one another. And so this is a, this is a supernatural work. And I think um, we don't have time tonight, but there's passages in the New Testament I could take you to, to to show you that unity in the church is something that God does through the Holy Spirit of God. And we're just supposed to not get in the way and not mess it up. So as a church leader, here's one of the things I know. I don't need to create unity at Gateway. I just need to make sure we don't mess it up, which we're really good at, all right? But we don't mess it up because it's the work of God. But once God creates unity in his church, there is a role for us to play, all right? And that's kind of the practical side of this. So just practically for a minute, how could a church of 20, 30,000 people be one as it's talking about here? And this is where we kind of dive into our big idea. And that is this, that a love for all, as we said at the beginning, a love for all starts with a love for some. See, here's how it happened in, in, in the first church. The way that they became one heart and soul was it happened one person coming to Christ at a time. It happened one house meeting at a time. It happened one meal at a time. It happened, you know, a group of 10 people at a time and they would go to their homes and this, you know, they'd have a meal at this house and they'd have a meeting at this house and one over here and one over here. And as each one of these groups, say 10 or 20 people, began to know each other and love each other and serve each other and sacrifice for each other and then that was group was doing it and sometimes the groups would bump into each other at church and one group would have a need that was bigger than just them so they would kind of jump in just like I see this happening at Gateway often and what happens is as each group 10 at a time or 20 at a time become one heart and one soul it begins to spread it begins to unite the entire church together now at Gateway we actually have a, a, a strategy for this and the strategy is called grow groups so we have grow groups in our church because we don't expect what happens here tonight and what happens here at 9.15 in the morning and what happens at 11 o'clock in the morning, right? We don't expect all of you to know everyone in the church and, you know, get to know everyone's pets and, and you know, feed each other and all that. We just, what we're looking for is to, for it to happen 10 people, 15 people at a time. 
So what we do is we encourage you, if you're part of Gateway, to get in a grow group. Grow groups meet in homes, and they, a lot of groups do different things. And my group, we eat, um, we get together, we, have a, we always have a meal together at first. Uh, we meet at our house. We do it because I find that having a meal just feels like the most natural way. Everyone's coming, it's Thursday night, they're coming from work, they're coming from school. It just feels like the most natural way for everyone to sit down and, and take a breath. And people begin to talk about their lives and talk about what's going on. We have, we have such great, in fact, I'd have to say that the, the, really the best thing that happens in our group is what happens around the dinner table, not what happens in the living room afterwards, as great as that is. But we get together and sometimes we talk about the sermon. Um, sometimes we take, you know, we have people share prayer requests. We have enough people in our group where if we have everybody share a prayer request, that's pretty much that and a meal is all we have time for. But what we're looking to do as a group is to grow together, to, to love one another, to serve one another, to care for one another so that if in our, if in our group, some, you know, family has a baby, which has happened several times, and we're there to help them out if someone's sick, we're there to help them out if someone's moving, which is a, about to happen in our group, then, you know, we're going to jump in and help them move. And that's, that's what we do. We take care of each other. Now, of course, see, the challenge is, in a church this large, actively loving any, everyone in our church just isn't humanly possible. I mean, with three services and, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, there, there are people that go to this church that you don't even know. You bump up against them at Starbucks or in the community or at school, and you don't even know they go to church at Gateway because they go to a different service. Obviously not the best service, but they go to a different service, right? But if every one of us in here, if every one of us are involved in a small group of people and we're practicing this stuff, then this kind of care and love and unity for us as a church becomes a reality. In fact, in verse 32, the second part, this is what it says, and I love this. And, and, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So I love that it says they had, they had everything in common. So when someone was in need, right, then they, they, would, they would take care of the need. And if somebody needed a meal, then, then their group that was around them would, would give them a meal. And if someone, you know, needed some gas for their car or needed a place to stay or they were going to move or this had a baby, then the group was there to help them. Now, in fact, what we find out as we look through Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4 is that sometimes people would give out of their surplus. So they might sell. We have examples of people that had maybe extra property. They had a vacation home, you know. It was, it was extra. And so they, they would sell it, and then they would use the money to help other people who had needs uh, this summer, <laughs> we've lived in our house for, I guess, 18 years, and we have a really big basement, which has just become a, just, you know, it's just become a great big pit of uh, everything we didn't want to get rid of. So this summer, we decided we're going to clean that out. And so some of the stuff we gave to Goodwill and some of the stuff we gave to people who wanted it. Now, I mean, everything in our basement was surplus, all right? So sometimes we give out of surplus, but sometimes we give sacrificially. So I think of it this way. In our house, everything in the basement was surplus, but everything on the main floor of our house is like, that's sacrificial because that's the stuff we use and the stuff we wear and the stuff we eat. But some people were giving sacrificially. In other words, they would, they would do without something they needed so someone else could eat or have a place to stay or get their car fixed or whatever they need. Now, this passage specifically is about the fact that the church shared wealth. But as you read the New Testament, it kind of, kind of expands, it blows out the walls of this so that we begin to understand that having all things in common doesn't just refer to our wealth. The New Testament says it refers to including uh, sharing our time, 
sharing our skills, uh, sharing our encouraging spiritual words, uh, sharing compassion, sharing hospitality. So I want to show you a video of how it played out in one um, of our grow groups. There's a grow group here at Gateway, and you may know about this, and there was a woman in this grow group, in fact, she's often up here leading worship, um, who needed a kidney. Her kidneys were no longer functioning. She was in dialysis. And uh, so, the, you know, the group was together. And apparently they take this all things in common to a whole new level altogether. Let's, let's watch this. We have a, another video we'll show you in the future, which is uh, kind of Danielle's side of the story. But uh, back on the first of the month, um, uh, Serena went into surgery and they took one of her kidneys. And then uh, Danielle went in and they gave her that kidney, which as it turns out, is a super, super kidney because it's working really well. Um, Danielle's doing awesome. Uh, Serena actually came to church last weekend and she's here with us this evening. <laughs> and I'd almost imagine that the video was harder than the surgery <laughs> for Serena. So um, thank you so much. And I know Danielle is going to be here this weekend as well, worshiping with us, um, kind of off to the side, I think, up in the clean room some point. So uh, anyways, God did some amazing things there. So, so here's the deal. I really wanted to show you that video and share with you one story, just one of many, many stories. But so the thing about that story is it sets the bar really high, right, uh, in terms of grow groups. And so you may be going, well, you know, what do I do in my grow group? How can I help out? So I want to close by giving you something. I'm just going to kind of just get the conversation started for you. You might notice in your notes there's a whole section of one another's that go all the way down the backside. I'm just going to cover a few. I just want to explain this to you though. See, in the New Testament, again, it takes that idea of um, having all things in common and the rest of the New Testament just pushes those walls out and just adds all sorts. So it's not just possessions. In fact, um, Serena said that even her body isn't her own, right? That it belongs to God. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about here. So, so what do you do if you're in a grow group and no one needs an organ transplant, right? Like how do you help? So here's just some ideas for you, just a couple couple things. In fact, a great verse to think about in just getting started is 1 John 4, 7 and 9 that says this, dear friends, let us love one another. Okay, that's people in this room. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And this is how, this is great, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So we're to love one another as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? Well, we can think of all sorts of things. He left his comfortable couch in heaven, right? And came down here as a complicated, messy process, right? So for some of us, just one of the ways, the first step to loving other people is getting off the couch, just getting out of the house and getting together with other people and spending some time. I know you like your couch. I know you like your TV. I know you're an introvert. I know you don't want to get out, but this is where it starts. Like Jesus, who left heaven, who left the place that, you know, where his will was always perfectly done. He came down to this messed up place so he could get into our lives. And then he gave his time. 
He gave, you know, 33 years down here being with people. He, had, he walked around continually paying attention to the needs of other people so he didn't wait to be asked. He would look for the needs of other people. So you, you ask questions. You look, you see what's going on in their lives. It says that, that he fed people. And we can do that too. I mean, you might not be able to miraculously multiply loaves and fish, but you can still, you know, you can fix some spaghetti and take it to someone who's hungry or a family where someone's sick. He fed people. He, he met practical needs like washing the feet of disciples. So you might not be able to do that, but you could wash dishes or clean a house or mow a lawn, but just practical ways that we serve one another. It says just in the same way that Jesus kind of came down and got in our mess, right? He got in with us. That's how we love one another. That's what we do in our grow groups. Here's another suggestion in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that we can actually build up other people. Um, actually, Colossians 3.16, we can build up each other with our words. And, and it says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So there's kind of a beginning part here, and that is you need to you need to read the word of Christ. You need to study the word of Christ. You need to listen to it. But as you, you get God's word into you, within you, it says, notice, what, what do you do with it? With all wisdom, teaching and, and admonishing, notice one another. That's why these are called the one another's because they all have the phrase one another with them. And then use your words to encourage, to build up one another. And he gives us some examples with, with psalms. Those were from the Old Testament. So with scripture, with scripture and with hymns. Hymns from spiritual songs were devices they used in New Testament times to learn creeds. And, and so they would learn these in, in theology and doctrine and said, so, you know, use these um, in order to encourage other people and sing them with thankfulness in your heart to God. Right, folks, don't underestimate the power of your words. Don't underestimate how, how having a spiritual conversation, and, and so many times people tell me, well, I'm not very spiritual, and I, I mean, you know, when it comes to the things that come out of my mouth, and I'm not a good teacher and a speaker and whatever. You understand, it, the, the, what this says is, when you, just, when you just spend some time with someone, like when you're in a grow group, if you just, just share what God has taught you, just share spiritual thoughts, never underestimate the power of your words or God's words through you to shape the lives of people around you. Here's another thing it says that we can, we have the ability to build up other people spiritually in 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another. There's that phrase again. Encourage one another and build up one another just as you're also doing. So again, that, that word build up means edifice or, or to build a building or a structure. So the idea is this, I mean, imagine, for instance, that you had people in your life, and I hope you do, but people in your life who are always doing this with you. They're always looking for ways to encourage you spiritually. When they see you, they already have something they've prayed about, something they've, they, they've thought about. They're writing you notes to encourage you spiritually. They, they talk to you about spiritual things. They, they pray for you on a regular basis. If you've ever had someone in your life who does that for you, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's It's powerful. It can shape you. It can change you. It can change the way you think about yourself and the way you, you think about God. But God says that you have the ability to be that person to the person you're married to, to the kids in your house, to your parents, and to the people that you have in your grow group. You have the ability to, to build up people. Let me tell you something. You are surrounded by people who need to be built up. You are surrounded by people who all day long are being told they're nothing. 
They're no one. They don't, they don't measure up to the world. Who's going to tell them that God loves them, that God cares about them, that God accepts them when they're in Christ? Someone's got to tell them. Here's the good news. It could be you. And here's the astonishing thing. I'll tell you, if you decide that it's you, this is the part that always surprises me. You, you do this to people and you think they're hearing it from a lot of people, but almost every time at some point they'll come to me and say, you're like the only person who does that. Most of us don't have very many people who are speaking spiritually encouraging words to us. We could do that. Another way is to stimulate one another to live spiritually, to, to love and good deeds. In Hebrews it tells us this, let us consider. So this is, this is great. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Here's another way to do it. That word consider, I like to think of as the word provoke. So let's provoke one another. So here's a way of thinking. What do you tend to provoke in people? No, I mean, seriously. <laughs> what do you provoke? Some of you are looking at your husband or wife right now. Okay, what do you tend to provoke in people? What it's saying is let us consider how. Like, like let us sit down with a piece of paper and let us think about what we know about that person and let us consider, let, let, let us brainstorm, let us pray about how we can provoke When's the last time you provoked someone to love? What a great thing that you're, provo- you're, you're poking them. You know? You're provoking them. T- like when they're with you, they can't help it. They're like, I don't know. I just, you, you bug me. I have to go love people. You know, I, 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 this is what I have to do. I have to go do good deeds. Do you know that you, and so when we're in our grow groups, again, these are the one and others that we do. When we're together in our grow groups, so this is one of the things that I always do. So our grow group meets on Thursday. Thursday's my day off. Thursday's usually a day I'm working in the yard and working around the house. It's a great day for prayer for me. I pray for everyone in my grow group every Thursday that we get together, and I pray for the same thing every single time. God, show me how to provoke them tonight. I just want to provoke them. I just want to say something that encourages them spiritually. Here's another thing. I just, we're not going to cover all these, but just a couple more. We can use our homes. So some of you have a home. Some of you have an apartment, you know. Some of you have a cardboard box, but you know, you've got something. And First Peter says, be hospitable to one another <laughs> without complaint, all right? So there's a little caveat there. So don't just be like, you know, did you see he ate everything tonight? Or, you know, I, he, she wore her shoes on the carpeting or whatever, right? It says, be hospitable. That means open up your home and have other people. And again, that's one of the things we do in grow groups. We open our homes. We invite people into our homes without complaint. You can use your home to serve other people. Uh, in Ephesians 4.32, it says, we can, we can be kind to one another, right? Uh, tenderhearted. All right, does that describe your relationship with other people? Tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as Christ in God, our God in Christ has also forgiven you. It says, be as gracious and forgiving to others as Jesus is with you. See, sometimes people will tell me, I don't want to be in a grow group because I've been in a grow group and they, you know, people broke their promises and people said things and they did things and they hurt me and they let me down. And I'm like, well, of course they did. <laughs> if you were in a grow group with people, yes, they did all those things, all right? They, they sinned against you. They hurt you. They said things, right? Because they're people. Clue, this is what people do, all right? Even the best of people, none of us are perfect. 
Now here's what he's saying here. He says, other people are going to let you down. They're going to break their promises. They're going to blow it just like you. And if you cannot be as gracious to other people as, they, as, as Christ has been to you, then you're going to lose every relationship you have because everyone is going to let you down at some point. I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you at all, all right? I'm just saying this is the way it is. So again, sometimes people say, well, I was in a group and she said this, he did this. What a great place to practice this very thing, to be, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Here, I'm just going to mention one last one. To treat others, one another with respect. In Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. See, a grow group is a great place to practice this, right? Do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another, regard the other people in your group as more important than yourself. So, you, so in other words, you're generous with them. You're generous with your attention, right? So it's not all about you, it's about them. With your time, with your compassion, with your possessions, with your home, with your ability. And I was thinking today, like imagine if everyone at Gateway was in a group and if every one of our groups were doing these one another, I'm just thinking about that today. If everyone was in a group, so everyone was being loved and everyone was being cared for and everyone was in authentic place, a safe place where they could share their deepest, darkest secrets and their greatest joys and they would be loved and they would be cared for. Imagine if everyone was doing these things and, and everyone in Gateway was, what would that do to our church what would it do? Now, I'll tell you one of the things that it would do to our church because we're already seeing it. And anyone on staff can tell you this. It's been so fun to watch over the last year in particular how, how increasingly long it takes you guys to leave church on Saturday night. Am I right? I mean, it just goes on and on. And so we've actually, we have assignments now. Pastor Bill has to uh, text out who's in charge of closing the building because it's like we bring our sleeping bags and you guys bring your sandwiches and you hang out. And you know what? We see that as an awesome thing though. It means things are working here. It means you guys are loving each other. It means you apparently like being with each other. Which, but imagine what it would do to our church. Imagine what it would do to our worship if everyone was in a grow group and everyone was loving each other spiritually. Imagine it, what, it, what it would do to our families and to our marriages and to our community if all of us were doing that. How do we do that? See, that's where we say a love for all starts with a love for some. You have to start somewhere. You have to start with someone. At Gateway, it's why we have grow groups, all right? It's not because, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's a place to make this happen. We don't want to miss this, and we don't want you to miss it. So it's why we have grow groups. It's why we hammer on grow groups. It's why we talk about grow groups, because of the power that exists in a grow group. And I hope that you're in one. And if you're not, I want to encourage you. There's a, there's a flyer. Were these in the bulletin or they were? Okay. So if you're not in a grow group, it has some suggestions for you. If you are in a grow group, it has some suggestions for you as well. And they're all equally important. And so typically we close with a song and I'm not going to do that because I thought I'd just pray and then you guys can just do your one another's, right?